Good morning to all my sisters and brothers in South Park. I'm Pastor Anthony, Alexis Anthony of Greater Vision United Methodist Church. I've been invited by Kyle once again to share uh, this morning with you. And I thank God for Cal and his ministry and his unction of the Holy Spirit in his life and all that he's doing to build up this kingdom the way God intended. I've been knowing Cal for some time and, and, and this relationship has been a privilege to me. I told Cal I want to be like him when I grow up. So God bless him and his ministry and his family in a special way. Uh, when I saw the advertisement y'all were doing about this series, Turning Pages, on your, your website, something jumped off the page to me. I seen that T and that P in the, in the wording, the, the lettering, and the way it looked. It reminded me of a movie I saw years ago. It was back in the 80s. It was called Trading Places. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy played the leading roles in that movie. And it was about a just encounter that they had uh, one with another. Uh, they bumped into each other in front of this building as uh, Dan Aykroyd was leaving. And, and, and because of the way Eddie Murphy looked, he thought he was trying to take something from him. Uh, he was uh, profiling him. And, 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 and behind that profile, that unjust profile, Eddie Murphy, who was named Billy Ray Valentine in the movie, uh, he got arrested. And, uh, and, and, and Dan Aykroyd, his name was uh, Winthorpe, Winthorpe in the movie. Winthorpe worked for these big rich guys. They were the Duke brothers. And, and they used to make a bet every year. And what they did, they bet $1 that if Dan Aykroyd would find himself in the situation that Eddie Murphy was in, he'd be doing the same thing. So what they did, they devised a plan. They made him lose all of his job. His wife left him. All his privileges that he had, he lost. And he found himself in the same situation as Billy Ray Valentine was. And he began to restore to the thing, thing he did that Billy used to do to survive. Um, and they found out about it and they got back at the Duke brothers and they made them go bankrupt and they found themselves in the street. In other words, the, the, this move is about worldly justice. Everybody getting what they deserve. We have been in the midst of a thing in our nation, not worldly justice, but something called social justice. It's an in vogue term right now. People love the idea of social justice, regardless of its competing definitions. And Christians are real comfortable. We are with the term justice because we hear it a lot. We've been talking about it a lot. We know God is a just God. But oftentimes we define justice as just us, just our church and just our denomination and just our friends, just our family. Uh, that's how we view justice. But when we put social on it, we hadn't been as warm into that term social because social moves out of the realm of just us and brings in them as well. It's not just us, but it's just them. But if we're truly going to follow Christ's example, um, be Christian, that's what Christ likes. See, a lot of people use the term Christian when we other just use the term believers because, you know, you can believe and not be Christ-like. Uh, but if we can be Christians, Christ-like, uh, justice must always have an element of social attached to it. It has to move over to the social realm when we're talking about justice, because the definition of justice, in fact, means just treatment. It means to respect another person. And God has given us, through his word, many occasions, many paradigms, many examples of what a godly community uh, should look like. Uh, we read in the Old Testament how when he was given instructions about tending fields, he would say on the seventh year, uh, don't do anything to it. Allow the people who are poor and the pressed to come and, 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 and get their field. 
he, he told them when they're gleaning their crops and he said, uh, uh, don't go over it twice. Make sure you leave something for somebody else. Grapes drop to the ground. Don't pick them up. Don't harvest them. Let the poor come and, 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 and have their fair share. Um, is that when you're harvesting your fields, they leave the edges, you know, don't, don't do the edges, don't get it all. So the poor, the widows could come and, and make sure they have enough. Uh, there was a powerful example of this, uh, godly community when the Israelites was in the, the, the desert and God said, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm bringing down, uh, right now, a bread from heaven, man. He said, when it comes down, I want those who have a lot, a lot of people in their household, you take more. And those who have a little, little people in the house, so you don't, you don't need as much. Don't take as much. And he said, those who take a lot, say, you have nothing left over. And those who take a little bit, you'll lack nothing. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to satisfy everybody. I'm going to give everybody exactly what they need. Also with this menu, he gave some instructions. He said, don't take more than you need. Don't stash nothing. Don't put nothing up. He said, because you put something up, it'll rot. It began to stink. I believe there's a stench rising up from our nation and the world as it relates to those who are oppressed to the very nostrils of God. As Christians, we should understand justice completely because we are united by faith to the one who is justice and who calls us to justice. Isaiah 30 and 18 says this, the Lord is the God of justice. He's the God of justice. So when we seek and find God, we seek and find justice. And when we're in relationship with this God who is justice, our perspective of what justice is begin to change from our own point of view to God's point of view. I think this is an area where the church have, have, have failed year in and year out. We fail to be the moral guardians of community. 11 a.m., Dr. King said, Back in the 60s, it's the most segregated hour in our country. And that still rang true today. Through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and 2000, 2010, now in 2020, it's still that same way. Uh, the Talking Heads, I used to listen to the Talking Heads. They made a song, uh, Once in a Lifetime. And, and, and there was a verse in there, he said, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. And that's the way this sentiment is. It's the same as it ever was. In fact, not just in recent history. You can look back in ancient history of ancient children of Israel uh, days. Uh, it was that way. Uh, Amos, God was called Amos during this particular time where people were being abused and misused and, uh, and oppressed. And he, he anointed Amos. He gave him a vision. And Amos wasn't a son of a prophet. Amos wasn't uh, from the lineage of the priests. And was a common man. He was a herder, uh, a herder of sheep. He was dressed up sycamore trees. And, and God called him and gave Amos a powerful vision, not only a vision, he gave him a clear understanding, a, a clear view of what justice was all about. And he gave him a commission, a caller. He said, I want you to go preach to a comfortable people an uncomfortable message. Wow, that's difficult. To preach to a comfortable people an uncomfortable message. And there was many issues to, to speak about on that day and, the, and to, get, uh, to, to get on them about in that, that day. But the issue was, no, there was none greater issue, I believe, than the complacency of God's people. And complacency is the term as uncritical satisfaction. And he was commissioned to go preach to them. Because when complacent people 
hear a word, they become immune to truth. When people become complacent in their walk with God and their relationship, they're immune to truth. Not only immune to truth, they become immune to the unction of the Holy Spirit. So in order for God to turn the pages, in order for God to move them from faith to faith to glory to glory, he had to reveal to them some things that they were blind to when they walk with God. And all of us have blind spots, and I know I do have blind spots, things that I'm blinded to. So God sent prophet Amos to, to, to let them know some things that they might be blinded to as it relates to the things of God. So I want to talk about those just briefly this morning. First and foremost, let, let me grab my Bible and uh, begin to uh, share with you from the Word of God. Turn to the book of Amos with me if you have your Bibles with me. We'll go to Amos chapter, Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. First thing I see that they were blinded to, they were blinded to their danger of judgment. They were blinded to the danger of God's judgment. In Amos chapter 5, I begin reading at verse 18. The scripture says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord for you? It is darkness and not light. It would be as though a man fled from a lion and met a bear. Wow. It would be as though a man went into his house and leaned, on his hand, leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Wow. They, 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 they were immune to the fact that they were in trouble. They, they longed for judgment. They longed for it. They, they sought out the judgment, but not realizing when judgment came, it would come from them first and foremost, and it would come on them the hardest. I had a, a brother speak to me recently about this, and he said, well, Pastor, uh, at the beginning of the week, we had uh, hurricanes in the middle where the fires couldn't be put out, and at the end, we had, we had an earthquake. He said, wow, he said, God is judging them. I said, them, them, them who? Who, who, who? who do you think God is judging? Oftentimes when we hear judgment coming from God, we always deem this for somebody else. You know, it's like folks sitting in the church and, 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 and the convicting word of God coming and they say, I sure wish so-and-so was here to hear that. Not realizing that that word of conviction, that word of truth was coming for them. And this brother said, well, the judgment is coming out. Judgment for who? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4 and 17, judgment begins first at the household of God. I mean, God, God, God is when he come back and judge. He's not going to uh, so much be angry at, at sinners for sinning. That's what sinners do. I think he'd be more angry at those who have known the truth, those who are called to be justice uh, or express justice or live in just ways when we're not doing up. We're not standing up and walking in that which God has called us to do. I think that's going to anger God more. Nothing angers a contented person or a person who is complacent than the truth of God's word, a convicting word from God by a bold proclamation. Bold prophet would give them a convicting word of God. Nothing angers them more. So he, they were they were blinded to the danger of judgment. They was also blind to the hypocrisy of their worship. It was blinded to the hypocrisy of worship. Look what the Bible says in verse 23, 21. I'll be 21 to 23. It said, I hate and I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offering and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. 
This is what he said in 20. He said, take away from me the noise of your songs. For I would not hear the melodies of your string instruments. They were doing all this church stuff to please God. God said, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to hear all that. Say, get that out of here. True worship will always challenge us to grow. Not only will true worship challenge us, but true worship has a way of purifying our souls. But if we're complacent in our walk with God, worship can only solidify our complacency. How is it that you could be so complacent in your walk with God? There, there are those who are part of a group called the Christian Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. So they go to worship and they are so complacent in their self and in their worship that they're not convicted by the truth of God's word. One of the uh, um, ways that you have to, one of the things that the, 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 the avenues to entering in the Ku Klux Klan itself, one of the qualifications basically is that you have to be a Christian. So how is it you could be a part of a hate group and claim to be a part of a group that is a group of love? Because they are complacent that when truth comes and, 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 and truth does come through God's word, when it comes that they won't even receive it. They're immune to the movement of God's Holy Spirit. Here, they're doing all the right church things as far as church is concerned. They, 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 they are doing the, they're going to the temple, they're doing their prayers, they're washing, they're offering, they, they, they're doing their readings. And God said, none of that means nothing to me. He said, you go ahead, I, I'm not even receiving that. Ritual motion without righteous emotion makes for unacceptable devotion. I wish that was mine, but I read that somewhere. Jesus had a word of uh, uh, a caution to those uh, that thought they, their church activity was enough. He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. I think it was Matthew 23-ish. He said, you're doing all your tithing in men and all that stuff, which is good. He said, but you left undone the way to your matter. He said, you've neglected the most important matters. And he goes on to begin to define those matters or share with those matters. He said, you neglected the important matters. He said, justice, justice was first. Mercy and faithfulness. God is a God of justice. And God demands that we walk in justice. And what I mean, justice is just treatment. The respect of other people. They were blinded to that. They were blinded to their emptiness of the religion they, they was doing, they were sharing. The Bible tells us in verse 24, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Wow. After he scolded them about their pious and empty rituals, he began to tell them what relationship with me really looks like and what walking in my wheel really looks like. See, wow, it looks like justice running down like water. It looks like righteousness coming down like a, a mighty stream. Just the same sentiment that was expressed by Prophet Micah in 6 and 8. He said, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justice. But what does the Lord require of us? He said, but to do Justice. Jesus spoke. He spoke a parable about justice and, 
and, and, and judgment, in fact, in the book of Matthew. He, he, he spoke, it was 128 when he's talking about, 25, I think, when he's talking about the, the sheep and the goat. He's talking about justice and judgment. He said he's going to separate the sheep and the goat. He said to the sheep, he said, come and inherit this, this, this kingdom prepared for you. He, and, and they were surprised by the fact. He said, what, what was it that warrant this inheriting this kingdom? He said, because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in naked, you clothed me sick, you visited me prison, you came to me. Wow. And then he turned to the goats, and this is what the Bible says. He said to the goats, he said, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire. I know we interpret that differently and move that out the way now. He said, the place to prepare for the devil and his angels. We like to sugarcoat the word of God so we can feel complacent in our walk with God. Religion is nothing if it's not practical. Our faith is nothing if it's not practical. The definition is practical is concerning with the actual doing of something rather than theory or ideas. Our religion is nothing if it's not concerned with actually doing something more so than theories and, and just ideas. That's an empty religion and God has called us to be more than that. Wesley said his greatest fear was that we would exist he said his greatest fear wasn't that the people called Method wouldn't exist in Europe or America. His greatest fear is that we exist as only a dead set, you know. Neglect of the power of God. Neglect of doing justice, doing what God has called us to do. And God had to, in order for to turn the pages, um, he had to share with them a, a, a difficult and uncomfortable word. Not only did they have to deal with that, they was blinded to the suffering of their brethren. The Bible tells us in 6 and 6, if you turn with me there. He said, who drink wines from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments, but not not grieved by the affliction of Joseph. Wow. He said, you, you, you're living the lap of luxury. You're dining on the fatted calves. You're drinking the finest wine, listening to fine music from the Blumenthal. <laughs> but, it, but they were oblivious to the suffering and the sorrow of their brethren, those who they were in covenant with, those who were lovers of God as well. And it was grieving to the very heart of God that one could be so consumed with enjoying the, the blessings of this life that you're not cautious or concerned or moved by the suffering of others, and especially those who are in the household of faith. This is a, a wake-up call for us to church. I read these texts and I'm convicted. Oftentimes, I I, I pray that I never get complacent in my walk with God to think I'm doing all that I could be doing. And I and I proclaim that word to Greater Vision family on a regular basis on how we can be reaching out and, 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 and being a blessing to others more so than 
looking inward and trying to make sure we have everything we need because God has let us know over and over through his word. He could bless all of us. That's enough blessing that God could pour out upon us. We don't have to worry about anything. All we have to do is try to be faithful to that which he's called us to do. So it, it begs the question what we can do uh, as believers. Uh, no, as Christians, being Christ-like, what can we do to make sure that we're pleasing our religion, our worship is pleasing to the eyesight of God, that, that we're not concerned about uh, the judgment of others, but we're concerned about making sure we're not judged ourselves. How, how can we walk and what can we do to better the situation as it relates to social justice, as it relates to the mistreatment of, of, of people of color? Uh, what can we do as believers? But there's three things I, I, I'm going to uh, uh, put forth that I think will will help each and every one of us uh, go forward and move forward in our, our relationship with others. Uh, first and foremost, we need to ask God to examine our hearts, uh, examine our hearts and reveal to us any areas in our life that are uh, racist or any kind of racial tendencies that we might have. Not only once he reveals that God removed those things from our heart, that I might be more uh, like you. Um, I, I, I wrestle with the concept of people, uh, I've seen it recently, driving down the road or on the side of the road, they, they throw up a, the, a hand like a Hitler hand and have uh, Confederate flags and hollering at people. And, and, and on the other hand, they have the Christian flag. I, I, it's hard for me to reconcile the two. It's hard for me to, to understand how you could be uh, a lover of God with all your heart and, uh, and holding on to hate and, and, and think that, uh, that that's a, 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 a profitable or a consistent life. I, 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 I don't see that. And uh, so we have to ask God to remove any kind of racial tendencies that we might have. Uh, also, number two, we, we just take away. We need to learn how to take a stand and fight for justice. Let's take a stand and fight for those uh, things and those systems, any kind of form of racism or injustice that still exists in our land today, which there are many. Um, take a stand, fight against it. H how many of you listening today are, are, are Methodists? Ra raise your hand if you're Methodist. I see that. Raise it, raise it high if you're a Methodist. Okay. Now, th this is what the vow that you took to become a Methodist. This is one I vow. Let me read it to you. It said, I accept the power and the freedom that God's give to resist evil. I accept that. The power that God gave me to resist evil uh, and the freedom to do it, to resist injustice, to resist oppression, resist me to stand against, to stand against evil, to stand against injustice, that beautiful word, to stand against oppression in whatever form they present themselves. So when we take a stand and fight against any kind of systems of injustice, we're doing what we said we ought to do as people called Methodists. And thirdly, we, we could begin to show compassion to the victims of uh, racial injustice. Uh, show compassion. Don't, don't act like it doesn't exist or, or make up excuses. We, we're experts doing that. Oh, the reason why this has happened. It shouldn't happen. There's no reason to mistreat people. There's no reason not to respect someone. Um, 
And we need to say, God, uh, 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 make my heart compassionate. Compassionate is basically seeing yourself in that person's position, trading places. And we begin to see ourselves and trade places. It may dictate or determine how we minister to those who are in those situations. Um, in the book of Amos, when Amos went out and prophesied, said, look, you need to stop oppressing people. I know you're living in the lap of luxury right now. It was a high time in Israel's life. They had, they had it going on. But it wasn't long because they didn't, they wouldn't be, they, 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 they were complacent and they wouldn't move by the truth. Even when the truth was presented, they didn't want to receive the truth. They wouldn't move by the moving and unction of God's spirit. So God brought some judgment. The Assyrians came in and bum-rushed them, overpowered them. And the very same ones who were living high on the hog found themselves living in slavery. They turned the pages, trade places. So as believers today, I thank God for this privilege that we have in our society today to be agents of change, to be uh, God's instruments in this world that is difficult right now, this world that is bruised right now. He's looking for instruments to use. The Bible lets us know that God is looking to and fro this whole earth, seeking those who might show himself strong upon. He's looking for us that we might be those people that he could work through to bring about ultimate justice bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. What an awesome call and responsibility. And me and you, we could join hands together to bring about that reality. So I thank God for this privilege. Uh, I'm allowed to come and share with you this morning. I pray that in some way, something that was said that can touch you and, and, and move you along in your Christian journey. I thank God for uh, Kyle offering me this opportunity to come uh, and minister to you. So uh, I want you to just be blessed and just continue to pray for the Greater Vision family. And, uh, and, and we'll continue to do that which God has called us to do. So until we meet again, until we can gather and worship and hug on one another like we used to do, I say God bless you. And in the terms I always use when I'm exiting my, my messages, peace out. God bless.